This morning we're taking a break from the Gospel John, and it looks like we are not going to get through the Gospel John this year. I'm sorry. But uh, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to jo- Joshua chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a character that is not so famous in the Bible, but it's a character that my son is named after. His name is Caleb. And uh, it's a long time this sermon has been coming because uh, Caleb is almost now six years old. And Caleb really is not a famous person in the Bible. There are only maybe one or two instances that makes Caleb in the Bible a famous character, but it's his partner in crime that really is famous, and his name is Joshua. Joshua is the one that becomes the leader of the Israelites after Moses passes away, and Caleb is still there, and he's still faithful, and he's a good man of God, but yet the Bible really does not say much about him. But Joshua chapter 14 is the chapter that is dedicated to Caleb. Let's start there in verse 1. Joshua 14 verse 1, the Bible says, And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed for inheritance to them. By lot was their inheritance as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. For Moses had given inheritance of two tribes and a half on the other side Jordan, but unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them. So at this point in time, the the Israelites have already entered into Canaan and they started conquering it and most of it had yet to be conquered still, but to a great degree, the Israelites are able to settle down in the land of Canaan and divide up the land amongst the 12 tribes. Now, jump down with me to verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people to melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God." He's recounting his first experience, the 12 spies that went to spy out the land of Canaan when the Israelites first came out of Egypt. And at that time, how old was Caleb? How old was he, the Bible says? He was 40 years old when he went to spy out the land with the other 11 men. And they were the ones that brought back the evil reports But it was him and Joshua that tried to encourage the people and to strengthen the people to go in and conquer the land of Canaan. But there is one characteristic that he lists out here, not because he's boasting, but because he's recounting his life experience. In verse 8, he says, I wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 9. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. 
because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. The characteristic that stands out about Caleb is how he wholly, 100%, with his whole heart, he followed the Lord even though others did not. Let's continue, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. You know, he was 85 years old now, 45 years later. Five years already, the Israelites have been conquering the land of Canaan. They've been going around in the desert wilderness for 40 years, right? He was 80 years old when he went into Canaan, and now he's 85 years old, Caleb says. And he says, the strength that I have today is the same strength that I had when I was 40 years old, when I went to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, how did he wholly follow the Lord in this sense? It wasn't just faithfulness in terms of me following God and that's it, but the strength of years was still with him. He wholly followed the Lord even in the health message. That strength that he had. I mean, how many of us could say that today? I mean, you think about it. Back then, they lived for about 120 years. It was probably a bit longer than what we live today, okay? And so I did some calculations. If Caleb was alive today, and our average lifespan is about what? 80 years old. I think that is uh, generous, calling it generous. If we live to 70 years old, it's lucky already, isn't it? But our average lifespan, let's say, is about 80 years old. So if, if Caleb was alive today, he would be 57 years old. Okay? How many of us could say at the age of 57 that we are just as strong as when I was 28? The strength. You know, some of you, I know for me, you know, 28 was probably my fittest time, honestly. And ever since then, it's just gone downhill. You know, I could do 160 push-ups before when I exercise. Now I struggle with 100. You know, the strength of, of just 10 years later is not even there anymore. But here Caleb is saying, I followed the Lord fully in every particular. The strength that I have today is the same strength that I had 45 years ago. Let's continue, verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, unto this day, because what? That he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjatharba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims. And the land had rest from war. You know, he asked for this piece of land. And he didn't want it easy. Not only was his strength the same, his faith was just as strong. So he looked for a land. The one that was 
heavily fortified. And he said, give me that. I'll take it. And in his own strength and the strength of the Lord, he was able to conquer this place. And the, the sons of Anak were great men in those days, the Bible says. And three times we see in Joshua chapter 14 that Caleb's characteristic over and over again was he wholly followed the Lord. I think you can guess what we're talking about this morning. It is about wholeheartedness, about being fully consecrated, or according to the dictionary, it means marked by complete and earnest commitment, free from what? All reserve or hesitation. That means we don't hold anything back. That means we're, we're not Maybe we don't know, or we're not even 95%, we're not 95, we're not 99, we are 100%. This is what it means to be wholehearted, not leaving anything in the tank. On the other hand, half-hearted, it means work done with no real interest or enthusiasm. You know, when we are half-hearted to God, we're here but we're not really. We're not enthusiastic. Now, the song service, it sounded so enthusiastic. Do you know that? I love it when we sing, and especially with the walls, they echo off, and when we sing, we can hear it and feel it from our hearts. I like to be at the front because all the voices are coming forward. For those that sit at the back, you maybe sound like you're singing a solo. You should try sitting at the front one time. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And we can tell when a person sings half-heartedly. We can tell when people do things half-heartedly. We can tell when a person is studying half-heartedly. We can even understand when a person is half-hearted in their relationship. Why? We don't have any interest or enthusiasm or as wholeheartedness. It says that we are holding something back. We have something of a reserve. We, we, we're maybe in a relationship and we're not sure and maybe we see another girl so we have a bit of a reserve for her rather than giving our 100% to the person that we're in a current relationship with right now. But Caleb, he wholeheartedly followed the Lord without reserve, without holding anything back. He gave God all of his heart. This day with God, 165, Ellen White writes, it is the unconsecrated lives of half-hearted professors that retard the work of the truth and bring darkness upon the church of God. Maybe you're wondering why I'm talking about this today is because even within our church, it's possible to come to church and still be half-hearted. You're not wholly here. You're not fully here. Maybe you came just because you're a friend so you can plan for what you can do tonight when the sun is over, sundown. You know, we come with different intentions and understandings and we, we don't come with a whole heart given fully to God. But she says that it is those that are half-hearted within our church that causes much problems for the work of God. And so I have this question for you this morning. Am I serving the Lord wholeheartedly today or half-heartedly? As we sit here this morning and we ponder upon this message, we've got, we got to do a bit of self-examination. We've got to look in the mirror for a little bit and ask ourselves this question. 
are we holy gods or half gods? And even before you answer that question, I want to remind you, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So even before we, we dare to venture to make an answer for this question that I'm giving to you this morning, let's pause. Let's not think that, hey, I'm wholehearted. That's the reason why I'm here at church. I'm wholehearted. That's why I give tithe and offering. I'm wholehearted. That's why before we give an answer to this question, I want you to consider and ponder your life. It is a solemn statement that I make to the church. This is Ellen White speaking to us today. That not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Can you imagine that? She says, not one in 20. What is one in 20? What is one divided by 20? What percentage is that? That's 5%. And she says, not. So that's less than 5%. One out of every 20 people are ready for Jesus to come. Not in the world. This is a solemn statement she's making to who? Us right here this morning as we're sitting here. I really want us to think about this. I really want us to consider the flow of our life, the actions of each week, the thoughts of our heart, that we would allow God to reveal to us whether we really are wholehearted or not. But I want to share with you about a man that God used to build up his kingdom. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he's the founder of one of the major denominations in our Christian church today, John Wesley, the Wesley brothers. He was a man that God used mightily. Do you know that? Let me share with you some of his life story. He averaged three sermons a day for 54 years. Can you believe that? preaching more than 44,000 times. He preached three times a day, every day. Not every week. I would faint under such burden. And I think many of us would. You know, in, 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 uh, we just had a pastor's meeting and uh, the mission, you know, they, they, they give us 10 hours every two weeks to write your sermon. That's what they say. So the, the requirement for the, for the pastors is, pastor, you've got to preach at least twice a month. And right now, because of the situation of our two churches, I basically do that. But they said, you preach twice a month and you should spend about an hour each day for two weeks to prepare your sermon. So I get 10 hours a week. I don't take that much time. But they give us that much time, and some pastors, they take longer. And I'm sure some of us young people who preach once a year or once every half a year, it takes longer than that. But John Wesley preached three times a day for 54 years. 
He traveled by horseback and carriage more than 200,000 miles, about 5,000 miles a year. This is by horse, okay? Not by car. Not only that, he wrote books. Five volumes on the natural philosophy, four volumes on church history, the history of England and Rome, three works on medicine, amazing, six volumes of church music, seven volumes of sermons, and he edited a library of 50 volumes known as the Christian Library, apart from preaching three times a day. Not just that. He rose at 4 a.m. and worked solidly through to 10 p.m., allowing brief periods for meals. He only slept six hours a day. At age 83, he could write more than 15 hours per day without hurting his eyes. You know why? They didn't have iPad back then. You know, 10 hours in front of the computer, we kind of get a bit squeamish and get scared. He wrote 15 hours a day. At age 86, he was ashamed to admit that he could not preach more than twice a day. In his 86th year, he preached in almost every shire in England and Wales and often rode 30 to 50 miles a day. And everything he did in what? 24-hour days, just like you and me. This was a man that God used wholly and fully, through and through. How can we know if we're wholehearted or not? How can we know if we've given 100% of our life to God or not? I want to share with you something that is not from the Bible. It's a TED Talk. Anybody know what TED Talks are? Yeah? I've watched quite a number of them over the years. And uh, just two weeks ago, I, I watched this TED Talk about this woman um, who learned at a young age to save. She saved until the age of 19 where she was going to buy a nice car with her savings. And she was about to go out and buy this car when her mom said, uh, hey, you know what? This is a good down payment for a house. So for the next few weeks, she went out and uh, her and her mother finally found a place to buy. It was a run-down little shack, but nevertheless, it was her first house and she was overjoyed and happy. And as she got into the workforce, she began uh, buying more houses. And while she was working, her, her boss introduced some share trading to her and she got into shares. And it was at the age of 31 when she had her first kid, that she finally made it. Fire. Do you know what it means? Financially independent, retire early. That's always been my aim, do you know that? Even as a pastor. It's good to have an aim if you don't, even if you don't reach it. I graduated at the age of 20, and my goal was retire by 35. I still like to read all these financial things. And uh, FIRE is one of the big movements that I've just been starting up for quite a number of years. Well, she made it. And uh, as she taking care of her child, she had more time. 
And she thought about one thing. What am I going to do now? I don't need to work for money. I don't need to worry about money. And she decided about giving back something to the world. So she started holding classes, teaching people how to save and manage their finances, something you don't learn in high school or even college. And so as she began to give back to the community, teaching people to be financially responsible, teaching them how to live simple, she technically, she realized technically that she was rich not in terms of money, but being able to retire early made her time rich. Do you understand that? She now had all the time in the world. She didn't have to go and work from nine to five and slave away five days a week. She now was time rich. And this is what got me thinking. What would I do if I didn't need to get a paycheck from the mission? What would you do if you don't need to worry about money? If money was not an issue, what would you be found doing today? Well, let me tell you what some of the people that are in this fire group do and what they advise. They say when you retire early, make sure you have something to do. Because the transition from doing to nothing actually pushes some people into depression. Make sure you have plans. Make sure you're still learning. Make sure you're still giving. Make sure you're still feeling useful. And as I thought about what she said, if I was time rich, what would I do? I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't tour the world. I hate traveling. You know when I first got married? When we were in Taiwan, the greatest time, how we spent our time was just in the house actually. From Saturday night, the door didn't open until Monday morning I had to go to work. It was wonderful. Yet I see some people, they come from US to teach in Taiwan as a teacher and every weekend they're gone. You don't even see them at church. They're traveling the world, traveling Taiwan. That's why they came. I want to be here in Asia. I'm just here for two years. I got to see all of Asia before I go back to US. And they're traveling and traveling and traveling. But friends, what would you do if you were time rich? If money was not an issue. And as I sat there and I prayed and I shared with my wife, I asked ye, you know what? I'll be doing the same thing. And it dawned on me. I am so blessed. Because not only am I doing what I want, but I get paid. That's amazing. The only thing I don't like is I have to go to pastor's meetings and, you know, I got a boss. But friends, would you be serving God if you were time rich? Many times we're like the rich man in the Bible who when God blessed him with more, he built bigger barns. When God gave him the richness of time, 
He used it for selfish purposes. But friends, have we given our whole heart to God? Or are we just followers by name? In Ephesians chapter 5, taken from the contemporary English version, the Bible says, Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Act like people with good sense and not like fools. There are e- these are evil times, so make every minute count. Friends, if you are time rich. Let's put that aside. In your free time, how do you spend it? The time that you don't have to be at work. The time you don't have to be at church. How do you spend your time? Have you given your whole heart to God? Or are your hobbies Are your recreational habits something that you have to confess of after you get home? Have we given our whole heart to the Lord? We can know by how we spend our free time. You can know by how you spend your two-week holiday. You can know. How do we use the time that God gives us? Our time, our money, belongs to who? To God. Every hour, every moment is precious. When God gives you that free time, when you have that break, when you have that pause in the midst of all your busyness and activity and life, how do we use it? We're reminded that every moment, every minute, is precious. Our time belongs to God. Every moment is His, and we are under the most solemn obligation to improve it to His glory. Of no talent He has given will He require a more strict account than of our time. You know, in Matthew, the parable of the talents, one had five, I think one had ten, one had five, and one had one. I believe that one that that man received was the same as all others. It was the talent of time. No more talent, no other talent will he require of a strict account than how we spend our time. Do you see that? You might not be the most talented person and God doesn't care. He just cares how you spend your time. So what if it took you five hours to write a sermon and it took him 30 minutes? It doesn't matter. He doesn't care about your talent. He cares how you use your time. We are living in a most solemn time. All have a work to do requiring what? Diligence. Especially is this true of the pastor who is to care for and feed the flock of God. It's no different. I'm not putting myself in any different point. There are many lazy pastors out there. You know why? This is a wonderful job if you want to be lazy. 
you see the church members once a week. If you preach a good sermon, you can even be more lazy because they're happy with your message. The mission president never comes to visit me. He doesn't know. The executive secretary never comes to check on me. He sees us once every six months. Pastors meeting. We have pastors care group. It's optional. You can be really lazy if you want. I can just spend the whole day and pick my kids up from school, bring them to school, take them out, go walk here, go play there, be there, and then be at church on Sabbath. You know what I mean? But even as the minister of God, God requires a strict use of our time. Friends, are we wholehearted in how we give our time back to God? Or is it just Sabbath morning that we think belongs to Him? And Sabbath afternoon and Friday night is my family time or my personal time or whatever we think it is, but every minute is precious. Do you know that? The students that make honors, it's because outside they've gone and studied extra. Of those that don't even have a degree, it's because they use their time wisely to read and to study themselves. And for those that are able to do great things for God, it's not just about coming to church once a week and then going home. God is desiring us to use that time for His glory. Charles T. Studd writes, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Or in the words of Paul, For to me to live is Christ. Paul says, If I were to live, not only is it because Christ wants me to live, but it's because I'm going to live for His glory and His glory alone. Caleb, he was a man wholehearted and fully devoted to God. From when he was a young man all the way to his old age, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He made use of every minute, of every moment. The 24 hours they had back then 4,000 years ago was no different to the, mind, the, 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 the minutes that we have today. And in fact, we have much more at our fingertips that are able to dig deeper into the Word of God, to be able to search out the Scriptures at a deeper level, to be able to understand what is there only. How are we using our time? How are we using the precious moments that God has entrusted to us. So this is a challenge that I want to leave with you this morning. His followers are to walk in His footsteps. If they are not transformed in character, they can never dwell with Him in His kingdom. If we are to be saved at last, we got to walk as Jesus walked. Amen? Amen? We've got to walk in His footsteps. We've got to emulate His example. We've got to rise a great while before day and learn to pray. There is a world to be warned, and every sincere Christian will be a guide and an example to others in faithfulness, in cross-bearing, in prompt 
and vigorous action, in unswerving fidelity to the cause of truth, and sacrifices and labors to promote the cause of God. Friends, if we are to follow as Christ followed, we're going to follow Christ in His footsteps. We got to live just like He did. It was a life of sacrifice. As Jesus journeyed, so we must journey. The path He followed, we must follow, for that path leads to the mansions He's preparing for us. Friends, there's a reward, but the decision begins here this morning. How are we going to spend our time? And if you don't have much time, that's okay. God still asks you, how are you going to spend that time? Is it to be the the glory of God? Or is it just for selfish purposes? Me, myself, and I. My studies, my work, my life, my food, my house, my car, my family, my children. Where does Christ fit in all of that? D.L. Moody was one of the great preachers of our recent past. He's the one that set up the Moody Institute. And uh, just like John Wesley, God used him mightily. He's not a man that was a Seventh-day Adventist, but a great man nonetheless. And this is what he says. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. You know, Ellen White says it in a different way. The greatest one of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men whose needle, his conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. And by the grace of God, I aim to be that man. I want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when Jesus comes back. I want to be able to use and rightly use every minute of my day for His glory. None of it for the world. Yes, there are necessities. Life carries us a certain direction. But how about those free moments? Are we willing to give God our whole heart, and our whole life. As we stand and sing our closing song, I surrender. I want you to pray in your heart. I want you to consider the words that you heard this morning, whether you're really willing to give God everything. Let us sing. But let's sing with understanding. Let's make this a prayer. And tell God, Lord, I'm surrendering everything. Everything. Let's sing. There's no talent on this earth that God requires a stricter account than the time. Something that we all have. Something you don't have to work for. It comes to us. But yet he's asking, my son, my daughter, will you live for me this coming week? I surrender all. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. There is a work of sacrifice and cross-bearing that we have to carry, yes.
but Christ, He wants to live in and through us. In the workplace, in our studies, in our interactions with friends and family, between husband and wife, between parents and children, He wants to be there. He wants you to follow in His footsteps. And with this 40 days of prayer that we're starting, we want to walk closer with Christ. We want to pray more. We want to live as Christ lived. So friends, I want to encourage all of us, make sure to sign up. If you can't afford the book, you let us know. We'll give it to you. But none should be absent. We got to give more, more time to God. Build up our walk with Him. Build up our relationship with Him. But let's learn to give Him more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, there are so many people out there that are working so hard for things that perish, things that will fade away when you come for a second time. And yet you have presented before us eternal realities mansions in heaven that are waiting there for each of us with our names on them. And Lord, sometimes we just get sidetracked with the glitter and gold of this world that we forget our mission and what you've called us to. Lord, please forgive us. And as we stand here before you this morning, our hearts, an open book for you to read, we want to make that decision again that, Lord, we want to commit our lives to you 100%. And sometimes, Lord, we get a bit afraid. We don't know what that means and what will happen. But yet we know that you're the one that will give us joy and peace and love. Please, Lord, give us that joy that the world cannot give. Help us to taste of your goodness Help us to understand what it means to surrender. And so please be with all of us. We have our different struggles. We have our pet sins. But please help us to be willing to give that to you this morning. And may you work in our hearts. May you live through us in this coming week. That truly every minute of every day for the next seven days until we meet again, Lord, every moment will count for your glory. Thank you again, Lord, for being patient with us, for the number of times, a countless number of times we've strayed from you. But yet here you are again with your arms open wide. I want to surrender, and I know that my brothers and sisters here want to surrender our lives again to you this day. Take us, Lord, and use us in your vineyard, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.